0: Welcome to another edition of Jews on Film. My name is Daniel Zana. I'm a video editor and documentary filmmaker and still a Jew. With me, as always, is my co-host, Harry Ottenshauser. Hi, Harry.
1: Hey, everyone. As Daniel mentioned, I'm Harry. I am a Jewish podcaster or a podcasting Jew, depending on your preference. And I am delighted to be joined by you and two guests that we have with us this week.
0: Absolutely, we are joined by Yechiel Hoffman and Jody Berman of the Two Movie Jews podcast. Yechiel, Jody, welcome to the podcast. Hi,
2: thank you. Hi, we're so excited to be here.
3: Thanks, Danny, hear here. That's great.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have you uh, today. We'll be talking about Quentin Tarantino's film *Inglorious Bastards*. Yechiel, you picked this movie. Why did you do that? Why did you pick this film? Well,
3: I, I think first it comes from the fact that, like, my entire love for film you know, really hit its apex when I saw Pulp Fiction. So, like, Quentin Tarantino is so much a part of my love of film and cinema. I I went to work for a video store hoping that would translate to Quentin Tarantino's career in cinema. That didn't happen. Um, And when I'm considering, like, the movies I love, that also, like, in that Venn diagram of movies that are Jewy, like, Tarantino and, like, Nazi revenge fantasy films, like, Mm -hmm. there's (laughs) Inglorious Bastards. It's right there. And I what movie could help me challenge myself into thinking, you know, about what makes a movie Jewish? And, you know, it's also just a great movie.
0: And uh, jody, uh, as, as you are someone who did not pick the film, I wanted to ask you a different question slightly. Uh, what was your experience growing up with Jewish film?
2: So I have a dad who is obsessed with all all movies and you know when i was five we were allowed to watch r-rated movies as long as they were going to be good movies there was just if it's and particularly if it's funny it's funny so early memories of the frisco kid and i think i could uh repeat the entire mel brooks canon you know seeing of course Everything is through a modern lens. But at the time, seeing Native Americans speak in Yiddish in Blazing Saddles and the whole Mel Brooks canon and History of the World Part One and you name it, if it was funny, my dad was going to let us watch it. So I grew up any time there was anything remotely Jewy, I mean, even Hester Street which obviously, I, I hope you can tell by the you know, not too many wrinkles on my face. I'm too young for Hester Street. Uh-huh. But yeah. whenever it was on TV, my parents were like, we got to watch it because anything anytime Jews appeared the pickle man, you know, every crossing Delancey, any a movie was Jewish, the Berman family was there.
0: Nice. And Did yeah. you have a favorite among the ones you mentioned?
2: Uh, I I think maybe Crossing Delancey, you know, such a sweet, lovely film and, and, you know, the pickle, everybody loved the pickle man. Oh, you know what, actually, I got to take it back. I think maybe Avalon. Was always our favorite and we always quote that film you cut the turkey without a butter. You know, I think (laughs) all of those films we can just, if you were to gather, not that you would ever do this because you're smart, gather the Burmans onto your podcast, we would just spend the whole time quoting films, and especially Jewish films.
1: I was going to say we could have you on or maybe we just have to hire you all as consultants for our future seasons. It feels like when we run out of movies, you'll just keep them coming. Cause You
2: just call my dad. He'll take it. Gordon will take care of you.
1: <laughs> That's good to know.
0: Yeah, definitely. A lot of a lot of good selections uh, that you just mentioned. We got I'm I'm jotting them down as you speak. I you know <laughs> I, I'm sorry that we haven't covered a lot of these films, but, you know, for those listening, look out ahead. You know, yeah. maybe a sneak peek. Uh... <laughs> future seasons. Yeah. So so Inglorious Bastards, what a film, where to start, you know, I think uh, the first place is to start at the beginning. You know, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino at the time, not a Jew, still not a Jew, but now married to an, uh, an to Israeli. To a Jew. Right. There two Jews now. That's right. That's right. So he's honorary. But I think, you know, um, I don't know, just before we dive into it, any, any sort of Quentin Tarantino thoughts? Um, I know for me, as someone who grew up in L.A., I went to the silent movie theater, like off of Fairfax, and it was a screening of like... Um, The uh, Nosferatu film, like a silent film, and he was there, and so like afterwards, he kind of like hung out and like you know held court. He was in his like bleached blonde hair phase, and so he was just like talking to anybody about film. So that's my Tarantino memory uh, and sort of my association. That's an
3: awesome memory because that is an awesome. My only time getting to go see a movie with Quentin Tarantino was Hot Chicks by Rob Schneider. Okay, (laughs) at the Century City Mall, and Uh like, and I remember like feeling a little like down, like. I can't believe this is the movie Quentin Tarantino chose to see tonight, but you know that's that's the thing about Quentin Tarantino. His tastes are varied, and I think like yeah. that shows. I was up gonna the-
1: say he might have really enjoyed it. Yep,
3: uh, I, he was laughing his ass off. Oh my God. That's <laughs>
2: that's so disappointing. Sure. That's horrifying. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think Quentin Tarantino, I thought about that a lot at the top, because this is one of the more Jewish movies we've watched. And, you know, you kind of do a double take, like, is he Jewish? Like, maybe I like I I thought to myself, maybe I didn't realize that and Googled it quickly. And, you know, clearly not Jewish. But it it does feel to me in line with a lot of the late stage Quentin Tarantino movies where he'll just take on these very big subjects and these very, you know, especially historical, like, like that sort of late stage Tarantino era, people say started with Bastards, where he starts taking on you know, revisionist history and starts rewriting kind of these big moments. So especially in the context of the later films, it doesn't feel to me like he was just appropriating this Jewish story so much as just choosing, you know, the Jewish angle of this big World War II movie, which, again, I love. I think he pulls off very successfully, not to spoil my thoughts about this movie. But for a minute there, I was a little bit like, should this have been a Jewish filmmaker? You know, I guess not because of his style. And, you know, I'll get more into that as we go into the actual film.
3: I think that's a legitimate question about like, should it be, what would have happened if a Jewish filmmaker told the story, or is this really a Jewish story? And that's the content. But I hope we can also discuss whether or not Tarantino's approach to filmmaking is actually a Jewish approach to filmmaking. And the way he thinks about how he utilizes uh, references to things, and the way he intercuts with things, and, and the way he's really like remaking somebody else's movie in this movie. And, you know, that is that a very Jewish approach to filmmaking?
1: Interesting. You know, I, I love, I love that idea. And I love that conversation. And my mind is instantly thinking it's very sort of Talmudic and very, yeah. you know, not to get a little bit deep, but very sort of like the the commentary, the toast vote and the way that they kind yeah. of pull references and information from all across the Talmud and, I I think you're really onto something there. And we love our, you know, our our little stretches there. Like if we interviewed Tarantino and asked him, you know, were you thinking about the toast spot when he told the story? Not necessarily, but I really like where you're going with that. And I want to, I definitely want to unpack, you know, how Jewish is the actual filmmaking style because Tarantino certainly has his own very unique filmmaking style.
0: Totally. Yeah. And I think like the sort of like voiceovers from Samuel L. Jackson, where he like features one of the characters and then he'll like tell their backstory or he'll tell you what a, what's up with Nitrate's film stock and how it's like super flammable and things like that. That to just to explain, Harry, when you say Toast Vote, can you give us a little bit more, get into it a little bit, explain what that means?
1: Yeah. So I, I mentioned that they were a commentary and there. Right, one okay. of the commentary. I, I don't. Have the exact era, but sort of you know a thousand years ago kind of thing. Commenting on the on the Talmud, on the Jewish Talmud, great. And they, uh, yeah, and then they show up in a bunch of places. But one thing that they're known for, where a lot of commentaries, you know, common, figures who are commentating on the actual Talmud might focus on the isolated section that they're talking about. They were very famous for pulling in different references from all across the Talmud, and the Talmud itself is you know over twenty seven hundred pages. It's a very long text, and they were very learned in all of it. Like you know, again, to finish the analogy, like Tarantino sort of working in a in a uh, video store and taking in all these right. different film right. references. And they used it to their advantage to kind of pull in, you know, eclectic sources to kind of make a point about something, you know, that they're reading based off of what a different, comment, a different sort of rabbi might've said, you know, all the way in this other section. So, you know, I, I just, I, I think that there could be some sort of connection there, even if it might not have been intentional by the hands of uh, Tarantino himself. Nice. Well,
3: I think it's interesting you say that. Like now, like it's well known in Los Angeles that he owns a movie theater and he screens on film his own library. He's a librarian essentially, he's a curator. He's also like every one of those films is essentially a referen- referendum on other films, primarily from the 60s and 70s, which is right where the passion area. And this film is no different. This film is actually a there was an original film made called The Glorious Bastards, and Tarantino misspells. glorious bastards as a way of saying i'm not making the exact same film over but i'm acknowledging it enough and it's almost like a text that has been copied and changed to create its uniqueness and i think that is a part of the thematics of also this movie of like are we really telling a true story are we really telling something that is a version of a true story that we need right now you know
1: no question. No question. He's bastardizing the history, so to speak, a little bit by pushing it towards where he wants to go. And part of that sort of Jewish heroism he works in, I think, is very intentional and you know, very Jewish. And again, all these conversations, I want to have them now, but when we go through the save movie, it, I save, know, it, save it. I know we'll get there.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: I feel like we are already having <laughs> we already <laughs> I know this is great. This is really great.
0: I mean, I I read somewhere that I think the director of the first Inglorious Bastards makes a cameo in the film, which is kind of like a nice nod. Um but Harry as a if you, German, like if as gonna, a German, interesting. Okay, in
3: as a German in full uniform, you're like that's the part you want to play. Okay, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Harry, can you do me a favor? Can you tell me what this film's about according to the IMDb summary?
2: <laughs> sure
0: thing, I've Thank got that you. ready to
1: go. We got a nice one, a concise one, and uh, here it goes. All right. In in Nazi-occupied France during World War II, a plan to assassinate Nazi leaders by a group of Jewish U.S. soldiers coincides with a the theater owner's vengeful plans for the same the mm. point. to the, point. Know, to the right. point, I think it, if you know the movie, it tells the whole story. And uh, the only thing I wanted to mention is I've started noticing when explicitly Jewish movies use the word Jewish or just kind of pull themselves out of it and talk very vaguely about it. And I always appreciate when they acknowledge you no know, sort of Jewish and calling them the sort of Jewish U.S. soldiers and not just the soldiers. That's, that, that earns points for me, for whoever awesome. wrote this summary.
0: So let's get into it. But before we do, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We're here with the folks from Two Movie Jews. We have Yechiel Hoffman and Jody Berman. Welcome back. And we're here, we're going to get into the film. So the film starts out, we are in uh, rural France. We start out in a nice sort of bucolic scene and we have a French farmer and his lovely three daughters. We start off right away, we're introduced to um, Hans Landa who is known as the Jew Hunter. And this 20 minute introductory scene is like, it sets the stage for the rest of the film. It's like a series of tense scenes. Like that's how I would describe this movie. Just like tense scenes, not so much action. Like I'm, I'll save that for later, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the opening scene, the the switching of, you know, dialogue from English to German, to French, the pipes, the whole thing. Let's get some thoughts on that.
2: So interesting because, you know, when you normally, when even in, Mel Brooks films right at the Mm -hmm. beginning of uh, to be or not to be they start off in Polish, and then they move to English sort of as a device like we're not going to watch a whole Polish film. Mm -hmm. So I had forgotten about the change of language in this opening scene, so I sort of assumed that Tarantino was using it as a device right like so. Exhausted Americans who can't stand subtitles don't have to sit and read because, God forbid, they should have to read while they're watching a movie. Right. But then there's this revelation that uh, Christoph Waltz's character has switched to English because he knows there are Jews who don't speak English underneath. Mm-hmm. Right. Oof. So you in you think it's just a divide. I mean, I just thought this was so brilliant because. I thought it was like a device in any other movie when they're like, let's switch to English so you don't have to sit and listen to us speak French. But it wasn't. It was actually very intentional and had a purpose relevant to the context of the plot. I thought I just think, wow, it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant.
0: He's good at his job. They call him the Jew Hunter for a reason, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. He speaks all the languages.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, first of all, I'm happy you point that out because I don't know the sequence of the episodes when they're going to come out, but we just recorded an episode where we talked about it uh, as actually another Holocaust film where they're doing English in like the concentration camps. And we were wondering, you know, like that's just like it's a trick for the American audience. It's to make it more palatable, but they would never have been speaking English. And I'm happy you point out just how accurate and grounded it was because I think the whole movie you know obviously there's a lot of historical inaccuracies but a little bit. <laughs> there's definitely but there's definitely a respect for sort of the time and place and era and I think that they they stick with that but you know secondly just to the point of you know the way that scene builds and obviously rewatching this movie I had seen it before but I watched it again ahead of this podcast and you know that you know Shoshana and her family are and the Dreyfuses are underneath the floorboards and they're just kind of listening in but the first time you watch it you just don't know what's going on and you're, you're a little bit pulled in by this very sort of charming and eerily scary, you know, Nazi figure. And he's like the center of the movie. And I, I read, you know, recently that Tarantino considered not actually doing the movie because he thought he had written a part that was sort of like uncastable because this guy had to be, you know, very sort of scary and compelling and charismatic. And, you know, just I'll say it at the top. Christoph Waltz is amazing in this movie. He wins an Oscar for it, you know, for yeah. good reason. Yeah. But, um, but just like the way that that scene develops and it puts in that sort of genuine fear when there's this, like, nod to the floor and you kind of feel it change and you know already it's starting with it's not like getting carried away with this you know sympa. it's not making a sympathetic Nazi movie it's not making this you know whatever it's it's giving you the stakes right away and I think without that scene because you know we kind of fast forward in time a little bit after that you don't have the same emotional gravity that you need to follow Shoshana's character you know in her big revenge plot and that's it's just really good seating for you know the revenge that she ultimately takes.
3: I think it's also like First of all, it's the only Jew hunting scene you see really in the movie. Like after this point, Landis had a security kind of. He's not really in Jew hunting mode, but he creates the threat. And I'll say the threat is interestingly set up in multiple ways. One is it's not really clear this guy hates Jews. He is doing his job. And that's an important point that gets played out especially during the movie. He's a professional and he uses all the skills he has to do his job extremely well. Um, To the point where he even gets the person he's His adversary in the scene To basically acquiesce to him And do his job for him The second thing I'll say, which is Remarkable, is For a movie, and I'm sure we'll talk about it That is violent to a Gratuitous degree at times Mm. The greatest threat In this movie is not violence Like that scene sets up That the greatest suspense and and tension You're going to feel in this movie is not because of violence It's because of the way that we can situate people in a space together and create use pacing. The violence is almost the most comical thing in the movie, not the most. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and just the last thing I'll say, which is like the, the, just the most interesting part of that whole scene um, is like we, like we, we talked about is you don't realize how long it is till it's over. Like, nobody believes in the 20 minute opening sequence and then it's done and she's running into that field and you realize you're starting the movie and you're like what just happened here like what is this movie about and you don't even know anymore and that's amazing that he was able to do that and stretches so long in that sequence
1: I, I yeah I, I think those were all really great points and I wanted to jump on your second point just about how the violence, obviously, or the, the tension is not born out of violence. It's really born out of discovery. And, you know, one thing we're, we're assessing this as a sort of Jewish film and especially even a Holocaust film, which I wouldn't argue it's it's so much a Holocaust film as right. much as it's almost a World War Two film. Yeah. But I think the only character that we really see who is a Jew in hiding, you know, throughout the entire thing, because the bastards aren't really hiding. Like, obviously, they're trying to be discreet, but everyone knows that they they're proud of their nicknames, you know, the bear Jew and like these big the Jews. short Jew. Like, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like Shoshana is really the only one who is explicitly like a Jew in hiding. And just the way that they establish that with that first scene is is really critical for the rest of the film. It's why the scene where they're eating pastries, you know, when, when she runs into Hans Landa much later in the film and they're eating pastries together is one of the most suspenseful scenes in the entire Ugh. film. And I, I think it's I think it's amazing that even though He's doing a film that really does to me feel more like a World War II film and, you know, acknowledges obviously Jews, but doesn't really center itself on the Jewish themes of just sort of hiding and, you know, what that means. I am I was very relieved that he had this one character that you really get to experience it. And I think he ramps up the tension, you know, around her character in, in what felt to me like an appropriate way without being... Know too, I think, over the top is as, as a way you can get sometimes when, like we discuss in another episode, you get a little too cinematic with Holocaust films. I, I think it's the perfect balance of just, you know, that real tension of discovery without getting too much into the details of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
3: go ahead. I was gonna say, we never see concentration
1: camps. The movie
3: takes place only entirely in France, not any of the other yep. parts of Europe. Um, in that, in you're talking about the hiding that Shoshana does, Shoshana becomes. Like, Shana's in hiding when the movie starts and runs away. Oh, in the open. So far in the open, it's, it's unbelievable she doesn't get shot. And she, when she escapes, she immediately transforms into a different person. She's on a different name. She's not hiding anymore. She's out in the open. She's standing on the streets. Um, so I think the quote of like, what does it mean to be hiding? And what does it mean to be hiding your Jewishness is, is a big part of the play here. But you're right. I kept on thinking that opening scene could have been a, in any Western. It could have been like, you know, the bad guys yeah. trying to hunt down the, you know, the good guys who have to be hiding. There was nothing essentially the Holocaust in that scene.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Of and so what, as you mentioned, you know, after this very, very tense scene, um, Hans Landa calls in his man. They put on a charade to make the people underneath the floorboards seem like everything's OK. But then Shoshana Dreyfus's family is murdered and she runs away. And the last thing we hear in that scene is uh, Hans-Land to say, Au revoir, Shoshana! And then after Shoshana escapes, we are introduced to the platoon of the Inglorious Bastard, who is headed up by uh, Aldo Rain, is known as uh, Aldo the Apache, played by Brad Pitt. And so he has his uh, brigade of of soldiers, some of them uh, played by, well, some of them who are Jewish, some of them who are uh, Germans who have defected to his side. And uh, we get a really nice introduction uh, to Stieglitz, like we kind of mentioned before Samuel L. Jackson kind of tells his very graphic backstory in an interesting way. Um, but I thought it was like a very Tarantino way to kind of incorporate flashbacks, which is his, one of his trademarks, um, we get it's great because it's
1: actually it's like we're, we're first shown like Hitler talking about the bastards and then they kind yeah. of jump into the intro bastard scene. So you could almost call that like a flashback within the scene. And then you get the Stiglitz thing, which in my mind, I read it as a sort of flashback in a flashback. Right. I was, I was trying to keep track of all the layers that were going on there.
0: Almost like Inception, like, you know, in a dream within a dream kind of thing. Exactly. Um, you know, Brad Pitt gives a, a great speech. I, I mean, his accent is like uh, comically bad, I
2: think. <laughs> My name is Lieutenant Aldo Rain, and I'm putting together a special team, and I need me eight soldiers. Eight Jewish American soldiers.
0: You know, I mean, I'm not talking about his Italian accent, which we'll find out about later. But, uh, you know, he, we we get introduced to all the different folks. Um, we find out about the Bear Jew as well. Is this the point where we are introduced to the Bear Jew? Um, played by Eli Roth, director of horror films and other things like that. And, uh, yeah. Any thoughts on the bastards as we get introduced to them?
3: I just think to Harry's point about the way the storytelling is done here, where it's almost like three layers of storytelling to introduce us is over thematically making something very clear about Tarantino's approach to this movie, which is everything is about storytelling. Somebody's telling a story about somebody else. Either it's the narrator, it's Hitler. And so and that also means perception matters. Like Hitler's perception of the bastards is very different than the narrator's. And it's very different than even later on when it's Aldo telling the story of the bear, of the bear Jew, when he's introducing them to the to the Nazi they've uh, captured. So I think already, like, this is, Tarantino does this a lot, where he uses his characters to clue us in to the approach to f- storytelling and filmmaking that he's using, where he's saying, like, don't trust anything you're seeing. Everything is somebody's perspective of this story. And I'm going to do this over and over and over and over.
1: I, I, I'm going to use that to segue into a point I wanted to make here because I, I totally agree with you. You know, obviously the story... Like I said, there's this frame of the story of the bastards is being told over to Hitler because they actually leave, they let one of the men live so that he can go back and kind of tell the story. And part of what happens when they, they leave all these characters alive to kind of tell their story is it it's almost this like myth-making thing. They, they create their legend. And one of my favorite moments in the film watching this time, and you know, it might be my favorite part of the movie, is that they talk about the bear Jew. And obviously there's this incredible introduction to the bear Jew and he's swinging his bat.
2: Sergeant Donnie Donowitz. You might know him better by his nickname. The Bear Jew. Have you heard of Aldo the Patch, you got heard about the Bear Jew?
3: I heard of the Bear Jew.
2: What'd you hear? Beats German soldiers with a club. He bashes the brains in with a baseball bat, what he does.
1: But what I loved is that the person that's talking to Hitler, I think, mentions that some people are calling him like a golem, right? They're they're Mm -hmm. referring to him as like a Jewish golem. And just to fill in, you know, I have like a a Wikipedia page up here just talking about, you know, the, the famous golem. It's just like, it's this you know sort of Jewish folklore of this like character that could be kind of like fashioned and created out of like clay I think it usually is in the times of the Talmud that yep. would come to life and protect Jewish cities and one of the famous ones is you know from the Maharal of Prague and this you know character a couple hundred years ago and they had this story of like this golem that would protect them and it's just I remember, I don't know who to quote on this, because I remember someone was explaining, like, they were just talking about how the Jews created these stories, you know, whether, you know, how much truth you want to read into the story of the actual golem of Prague, you know, whether or not it's true. They they created these stories because in a lot of societies, you know, Jews were a defenseless people and they needed this, this myth, this symbol, this sort of like symbolic strength to kind of defend themselves and you know hitler very quickly when he hears you know in the movie that they're calling him a golem he says i don't want you saying like no one should call him that no don't call him the bear jew anymore don't call him a golem he's you know he's just a soldier because he he's trying to avoid this myth but i think what's happening in that scene is exactly what is happening in this movie where it's you know tarantino is casting you know unfortunately a very defenseless jewish people at the time of you know world war ii at the time of the holocaust and giving them you know their, their own golems he's giving them heroes he's giving them these like strong jews and just you know a lot of times we see the jewish caricature even on screen now as like this sort of you know meek very like weak wimpy kind, she of like kind of yeah never she character exactly that is a jewish caricature and then anytime you get to see just these really strong powerful jews on screen it's it's kind of thrilling and i love the way that like you're like you said you about just sort of like the storytelling that he's calling attention to i love that tarantino clearly did his research and just throws in that line about the golem which to some people might be a throwaway line, but I just read it as like, that's what he's doing. He's creating the myth of the bastards. And I I just thought that was spectacular.
3: Mm -hmm. I think one of the best things that happens in that scene is finally like the emergence of this bear Jew. And he's huge and he has his bat and then he opens his mouth and it's like the most ridiculous voice.
1: knocks it yeah. out of the park,
3: Benway park. on his feet for teddy fucking ball game he went yacht on that one on the fucking lands down You.
1: you he's a <laughs> kid guy. he's and like a in, child in, his it's boston a, like, accent oh The
3: golem to like the golem's not supposed to speak and here the golem speaks he's like went being and he still bashes the crap out of that guy's head and body you know as if he's the golem like just because he's human doesn't mean he's not like the most threatening and, you know, totally vengeful matters which way you look at it. You know, creature.
0: So Shoshana is, uh, you know, owning this this movie theater in France and she's putting up letters uh, where, where she's assumed an identity. And she bumps into uh, Frederick Soler, played by Daniel Brühl. And, you know, they he's kind of aggressively hating on her and she's really not having it we find out later in the film he's like this very celebrated war hero who killed something like 300 people um and yeah i think she's not having any of it and and good for her for like sticking up and not taking shit from this guy um yeah super very
2: brave too super totally brave. i mean she she shows her bravery it, we, you can talk about the bravery of the bastards and how they exemplify one element of like the powerful Jew and the Jew not to be messed with. She's pretty badass in her own way. Totally. Well. I mean, I'll say during the scene where she and Christoph Waltz are eating the pastry, I was nauseous. I, I could not believe Christoph Waltz had a way of eating in this whole movie when he was drinking the milk in the opening scene. Oh. eating, And I, it just made me nauseous. Yeah. Every yeah, single yeah. Time. And she held her own. Interestingly, when she comes upon Zoller and they basically kidnap her, bring her to the restaurant and she's talking to Zoller and he's hitting on her again. And she says like, maybe you should try some, some chicken Vichy. Right. Which is her way of saying, I do not support the Nazis. Right. I mean, that is freaking ballsy. That is brave. That is. And so she has these series of moments Way before, and I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, spoiler alert, till we talk about it. Um, when we, when what she does at the end is obviously incredibly powerful and brave, but they really do a good job. Even the act of escaping the house was an act of bravery and running while someone is shooting you. I just thought that she, in this moment, like I'm not sure how wise it was in that moment for an everyday French woman. To be denying a Nazi soldier in he uniform, her out, yeah, asking her out on a date. Totally. So for me, this is like the first glimpse into who this woman is, and is a precursor. Like it tips us off that she's she's going to be pretty badass.
1: I, and I really like that you point that out in the scene because you're right. The last time we saw her was she's running away. And I, I agree with you. It's very brave that she escapes with her life. You know, she's being shot at and she kind of darts. But still, it's sort of her back to us and she's running away. And then when we come back to her, you know, I guess, you know, 20 minutes later in story time or however long later you know, I totally agree with you. She's in this very powerful position. She's up top on a ladder because she's fixing the sign. So she's standing above this Frederick Zoller and we see someone in a Nazi uniform. And as an audience, it's like, don't mess. You might have a short temper and he has a lot of power over you. And she does mess. She outright rejects him and says, no, I'm not doing this. And the only reason that she agrees with his big plan to premiere the new movie that he's in, you know, at her cinema is because she's kidnapped and she's literally left with no choice. But, yeah. you know, had her own way, she wouldn't have done it.
2: Yeah, I mean, somebody's asking you out with a gun in their pocket. You at least take a moment to think about it, no?
3: Nope. Yep. <laughs> she actually does two things really important in the scene. One is she uses movies and her knowledge of movies to kind of like both tell him what she's about and also to shut him down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's one point I think is very interesting as a Jewish person who's basically hiding in plain sight, is she he asks for her name and she whips out her papers. Give him, and I think that's that's something about her ability to like, I am exactly who you want, you think I am in front, and it, we as the audience only wants to know who she really is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now we're introduced to some other characters who are going to be assisting the bastards. Uh, we yeah. meet Lieutenant Archie H- Hickok. Uh, there's a nice cameo by Mike Myers who plays a British general, and uh, Hickok's played by Michael Fassbender is. Uh, set to meet up with an undercover agent uh Bridget von Hammersmark and they're supposed to rendezvous uh, in a in a it turns out it's a basement and they, yeah. they meet up and a couple of the bastards accompany her Um and again another scene full of tension just like watching a pot boil like slowly but surely the bubbles come up and eventually we boil over and we have this huge explosion of violence but it, it's just so much tension because the scene is so long and you're just waiting for somebody to pull a gun and like shoot something. And it just takes so long. And like for every minute that passed for me, at least I was like, all right, this is when it's going to happen. This is when something's going to happen. But no, something else comes in and, you know, kind of cools the boil a little bit.
1: Yeah, It's one of those scenes where it's like you just wish like they had done something differently, because the only reason that they're having this meetup is really just to sort of touch base and exchange information on the It's you know, uh, you know Michael Fassbender's character. He's the sort of British age, the British spy, and he's kind of just meeting up with Bridget von Hammersmark and the Bastards, and they were just supposed to go to a sort of nondescript location, talk about what the mission was, and then you know, kind of meet up again when it was time to conduct the mission. And there's this big tension because you know Bridget von Hammersmark insists on this place that they find out it a is not only a basement but also happens to be that night filled with German soldiers, with Nazi soldiers, and you know she says she's like normally it's not, but there happens to be a, co- a group here kind of celebrating their birthday and. You know once all that happens like you just want them to leave because there's nothing bad should happen here you know they were just going to have a rendezvous and they're kind of undercover as nazi soldiers but you're just the whole time you're just waiting like just go upstairs and leave and she's like no we can't go right away it'll be suspicious i've been waiting here all night and if we don't even have a drink so then they have a drink and then you know then there's another sort of high-ranking nazi official who kind of spots them and comes over and that's really where the tension starts because it's just you're hoping that they're not found out and you're hoping that you know, this British character has good enough German that he can stay evade, like he can evade them and, you know, that no one slips up. But, you know, obviously, as the scene goes on, they slip up quite a bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you alluded to, Harry, they almost get away with it. They're almost ready to, like, have their conversation. They've played the bar games. They've had the 30 year old whiskey. Bridget has signed a, a napkin, uh, which will become important later on. And then the thing that gives it away, the thing that leads to all this violence is, when Michael Fassbender is asking for three glasses, he says, Drei Gläser. And he does this. He does three hands, three fingers like this, as opposed to three fingers like this. Well, you're just going to
1: have to use your imagination if you're the listening. Three
2: middle fingers three rather middle fingers. than the thumb and two And That's two correct. Fingers. Yeah. Thank you for explaining can, that. That's <laughs> helpful for our, uh, for our audio listeners. For listeners, listeners right. this or this is not that helpful.
1: <laughs> that's true. That's
0: true. I'll we'll have uh, to check
1: the Instagram for bonus content.
3: With now,
0: TikTok. Jody, before the recording, you were telling me that there is yeah. some sort of like uh, related story historically. Yeah. So- yeah.
2: I I suspect that this is based on a real story from World War II that uh, my father recounted to me as a young person that um, there was a British spy, not a British spy, an American spy Who was caught by the Germans. Why? He went to dinner with them. And, you know, when, as Americans, usually we have our fork in our left hand, our knife in our right hand. We slice a piece of chicken or whatever. And then we transfer the fork from the left hand to the right hand and put the food in our mouth. But in Europe they don't do that. They they cut the fork with the left hand, fork in the left hand, knife in the right hand. They cut the meat and then they take it right from the plate in their left hand and eat with their left hand. And there is a story uh that I am at least aware of that there was a US spy who was caught for this, not because of, the, of language, not because of accent, but because he made the fatal mistake of transferring his fork from his left hand to his right hand. So I wonder if that was an inspiration for Tarantino, for these little, little tiny gestures that do give us away.
0: Yeah, I mean, you'd think that they would teach this in spy school, you know?
2: <laughs> All these little I, I details. I they that do now. <laughs> it's literally like
0: a matter of life and death in this situation, you know, because Michael Fassbender orders it, you know a different way the the senior german officer catches on to him yeah. and violence ensues there's a mexican standoff uh how how these german soldiers know what a mexican standoff is is you know <laughs> questionable but uh yeah, then the violence breaks out fairly quickly. It honestly reminded me of the finale or the uh, conclusion of Reservoir Dogs where just everyone is pointing a gun at each other and then they just <laughs> all shoot each other and they're all dead and we just yeah. have smoke, you know, rising and everything like that. But, you uh, we haven't heard from you for a while. What's up?
3: I just keep on thinking I love this scene. It's one it's it is maybe the longest scene in the entire movie. And what is this mo- scene doing in this movie? Like, right. It advances a few plot points. It could have been handled in like literally three minutes. Yep. Um, and it has nothing to do with the larger story necessarily. It's not about the bastards necessarily the revenge. It's more about this character that's essentially killed off in the scene, this British spy. Yeah, totally. And it's not has really nothing to do with Shoshana and her revenge story. Oh. And
2: it's so just I, the napkin. I mean, it's the napkin, it's the... It's the, it's the yeah, but I think those are, the like, cast.
3: plot devices. Like, yeah, yeah. He didn't need 30 minutes of suspense. I think there's two things here that are very interesting for us, especially in the context of our conversation, which is spying. There's a major theme of spying here that gets... If you look at every plot synopsis of this movie, you'll never mention it, but this part of this movie is about this British spy and this German spy. Mm. And, like, what Jody's story illustrates is just how tenuous it was. Like, how the... Trying the Allies' attempts to thwart the Nazis, even during, and we, one thing that's you know said in the movie, but a lot of people don't talk about it in the context movie is this movie takes place really as the Nazis are trying to lose. Like they're really right, even if you know what happens later doesn't happen, the Nazis are going to lose this war, right? And you're such tenuous things, such little things in a basement are at the crux of whether or not things will turn in this war. And I think that's one thing Tarantino's trying to do, and the other thing he's trying to do is just it's just you know, just show how how quickly something that is a benign evening out to celebrate a soldier a, a soldier's son being born
0: can hours become, ago hours ago
3: hours yeah. ago can become this deadly violent moment, and that is a Tarantino thing forever. Like for his love of dialogue, which is so beautiful. We get these scenes where they're just exchanging this beautiful like repertoire, lead to this like bodies everywhere and. That is, I think, a big Guarantino like, auteur moment right there.
1: I'll also say, I, I do think ev- everything you were saying about the spying is so true, because we we said this at the top of the movie. We were talking about that Shoshana sequence and how it was amazing that he's at least spotlighting for, you know, one section of the movie – the sort of what that means to be hiding in the Holocaust and what that means to be, you know, how delicate it is to hide and what it takes and what it takes to break someone, you know, obviously in that first scene, the family that's taking care of the is. I'm sure he's been protecting them for a long time. He says that they survived a year, like a couple months earlier when they were investigated by whoever was in, you know, Hans Landa's position before him, the, the previous sort of Jew hunter, so to speak, they, you know, they, they cleared that. So clearly they'd been hiding them for a long time. And it's just so precarious, you know, what that means to just stay hidden. And, you know, that delicate balance and this entire scene, it's a protracted and, you know, 30 minute scene. And it's so effective because we're introduced to, you know, sort of Michael Fassbender's character in the middle of the movie. And it's like, who's this new character? He's got to be a big deal. And we have his whole training and we learn about his background in cinema. He's written certain books about right, right. You know, German cinema. And it's like we think we have this whole character. But then because of one small thing, it's it's sort of in the balance, like his, his life obviously is in the balance and he's killed. And right bye this bye. Whole <laughs> theme of just and this whole theme of spying and hiding, really, and hiding your identity to survive in the war is so pronounced that it it reminded me as you were talking of the end of the movie, right? Because I mean, I'll touch on the end of the movie. We'll we'll work to this in the plot. But the final moment, it's a scene that's actually alluded to earlier on where when the bastards first have their, you know, their their squad of Germans that they're killing the last one before they kill him. Aldo asks him, he says, you know, when this war is over and, you know, the Germans have lost. And like we said, the Nazis were on the cusp of losing are you gonna wear your your suit ever again are you gonna wear your uniform or are you going to take it off and you know thinking he's saying the right answer he's like i'm gonna take it off and then aldo rain goes that's what i was afraid of i don't want you to hide anything like i don't want you to pretend that you weren't what you weren't you can't hide from the sins of your past and they literally carve a swastika into his forehead and that's called back to you know to say that this is a big theme of the movie that's called back to in the very last scene of the movie when they do that you know and we'll earn we'll get up to when we go through the plot why they do this to aldo rain but they do it to aldo rain at the end and it's just there's this whole theme the entire time of
0: to Hans Landa. They do it to, to Hans, Hans Landa. Landa.
1: Oh, yeah, sorry, not to Aldo, Rain. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They do it to Hans <laughs> Landa. Aldo Thank does you. It but- too. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't do it to himself. That'd be strange.
3: Yeah. We are set up with three basic tr- like tropes in a good guy category. Shoshana, who's one type of trope who's, you know, in plain sight, but hiding something and like orchestrating this like, revenge plot of her own. You have the bastards who are literally wearing German uniforms. Like they are masquerading as Germans to kill Germans and yep. want their story told. Like they are out yep. in the open. And then you have these spies that are like deceptive in their uniforms and their language. And if you just think about it in general, Carantino does not have very nice things to say ultimately about the spies. He kills all of them off. They are all failed in their spy craft. Like it's supposed to be the spies that end up at the theater. Not the bastards. The bastards right. you don't put in the theater.
0: Yeah, they're yeah.
3: recognizable. They they're the muscle.
0: The yeah, yeah.
3: And I think that's a. I listen. We can get we'll get into the Jewish stuff later, but I think this has to do also with the nature of what it means to be Jewish and assimilated. And mm, is it better? To interesting. Be like hiding interesting. And 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 finding manipulating your way around, or is it better to be out in the open? And I also want to say, like making. Uh, um, What's his name's character? Uh, a film critic?
0: A writer. Bender? Yeah. Awesome. fastbender
3: fastbender Also shows you what Tarantino thinks of film critics. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: love so it. Like- I love it. I love
2: it. Like his old talk, he blows his He's in a little pretentious.
1: He definitely day. has that day. air but too. But you know you why know I
2: love do do doing talk. this pod- doing our podcast with you? He notices the tiny of detail. There oh, you go. I, my, That's why
0: that. you keep them around for sure. That makes <laughs> no, sense. You're that. so right about that. Yeah. Um. So after, uh, you know, to move things along, um, you know, after Bridget uh, is the lone survivor of this incredibly violent shootout, Aldo Rain comes and rescues her and they end up uh, in a standoff with the father of this new child. Again, like Harry said, it's a protracted negotiation. Will you come down? You put down your gun. You put down your gun. Whatever. He comes down. He rescues Bridget. Uh, Bridget takes out the gun and shoots the father, the new father. And Bridget is rescued. Um, it has become clear that their initial plans, like Uriel mentioned, you know, the spies are dead, so the bastards are going to have to sub in.
1: And the plan is they're going to go to the premiere, basically, with bombs strapped to their legs and blow the whole
0: thing up and kill, you know, all the leaders of the Third Reich. That's I mean- kind Meanwhile, Shoshana is also hatching her own plan. Frederick Zoller and Goebbels decide that they want to move the premiere to a smaller theater, one that Shoshana owns. And that is the plan. Shoshana, realizing that there's going to be roughly 400 plus Nazis in her theater, decides that the time is now to set it ablaze and uh, blow it up. So they're going to use the film stock. She works with her boyfriend to hatch up a plan where she's going to film herself, edit in a snippet of, of film as a FU message to them, and then they're going to set the film stock ablaze and kill everyone. Meanwhile, at the vet's office, we also and one like important you, point... Go ahead.
3: Is that, they, that there's going to be a... Go. Goebbels decides... We see a scene where Hitler decides he's going to attend this thing, and that's like the big piece of information that uh um what's her name um had that she was gonna to disclose to the other of Hammers, spark. Like,
2: smart. Was, Hammers Anyone getting Madeline <laughs>
1: Yes.
3: What's <laughs> Every that?
2: Time you say that name, Van Hammer Schmerz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Right. exactly. <laughs>
1: it's also it's interesting that you mentioned Hitler was going to go to the premiere because the reason he says like in a scene where he says he's going to go is because he's like, you know, I think like we need this movie right now, like we need. And just going back to the point we made earlier that you made you about just like the power of stories and how that's sort of conveying and how Tarantino is very aware of that, you know, Hitler kind of recognizes we need some morale. This is a, you know, he says, this was a great story of this Frederick Zoller. It'll give people, you know, it'll inspire people. So that's why he decides he's going to go to the premiere as a sort of symbolic, you know, cosign, so to speak, to this movie, to this story as a, as German propaganda.
3: We haven't talked about this guy who's been hitting on, and this war hero has been hitting on, you know, Shoshana Shoshana the whole time. I feel like funny calling her Shoshana because she's really not Shoshana. Right. I think he's still only referred to as Shoshana once more in the whole movie by yeah, her right. lover. And right. there's this amazing thing where this movie is like Goebbels' greatest like propaganda piece. And he is going to premiere this. It's not just a, a piece of art or a piece of cinema. It is going to be the thing that should turn the tides for them. And that's why Hitler – and like the fact that a film is being described in a Tarantino movie is the thing that could change like the momentum of the war. It just tells you what, what Tarantino thinks about the power of cinema. And, you know, and and I think Shoshana picks up on that. Like she has to use this film against them and their fervor for this film against them.
0: Yeah. They also mentioned Lenny Riefenstahl, who's like a famous uh, German film director. She directed Triumph of the Will, which is like a very famous example of uh, German propaganda. So yeah, the power of film in this movie is, is real. And, and the way that it can affect people. Yeah. You know, after, The the bastards are fitted for tuxedos and they practice their Italian. They accompany Bridget von Hammersmark to the premiere. We have another um, awesome scene from Hans Landa where he introduces himself to Bridget von Hammersmark and Brad Pitt, where we get a really good sample of his Italian, which he must have practiced for quite some time. Uh, With
2: that heavy, heavy Southern accent.
0: So, so good. Very funny stuff. Uh, and we also meet Donnie Donowitz uh, and uh, I don't remember the other guy's name, but... Uh, Rocco. Rocco, yeah. But they have the most amazingly Italian names, wh- wh- which escape me. But it it's a cat and mouse game. I think he clearly knows something's up because he recognizes uh, something is amiss. Well, Linda's probably-
3: already found that napkin that was signed by her. He's onto her.
0: And the shoe, right? So he found at the basement shootout, Londa eventually makes it there and he finds a shoe. Which you is. know what I love about that? It's, yes, uh,
1: the napkin would have been more than enough to identify her and for him to trace her down. Totally, the shoe is added because you know Tarantino and his famous foot fetish. He wanted, I guess, one scene of the sort of Londa True. putting the shoe on Hammer's Mark's, you know, well, foot we'll and that, that kind of very. Second,
3: but I think that actually is even more important than Jessica's fetish. Uh, okay, in storytelling.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like two forms of ID, you know, kind of thing. But there's a very <laughs> long discussion about. Mountain climbing, because she has a, a fresh cast on from the vet's office. They discuss, "Uh, when did you get the cast? It's still wet. What uh,
3: mountain near Paris did you climb recently? Yeah,
0: really. I mean, I think it's like, it's a theme in this movie, like the Germans pressing non-Germans for very important details, like in the bar, down in the basement. What part of France are you from? Because you have an accent. You, I can tell you're from Frankfurt. You, I can tell you're from Brussels. Where? What's your accent all about? Just really... The the detail-oriented German stereotype in this film is is real. And uh, you know, I and think more than
3: detail-oriented, I think Landa especially represents like incredible knowledge, like he knows multiple languages, he's totally. always one step ahead of everybody else, he knows more than the people there, and like Aldo and all the bastards really represent like the classic American who doesn't know anything and it's just yep. a giant bulldozer. You know, pounding their way through things, and like that standoff, you think, like, okay, like, how's this gonna end other than planned Lando winning? Like, he's out, he has them outsmarted. Yeah
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting, and I think his the way that he like effortlessly, the way he effortlessly just switches to Italian and then just yeah talks them talks at them, and they're they the, you know the the bastards clearly don't know a word of Italian and you know, are and he knows something's up. So then he takes Bridget Van Hammersmark to a private room. They discuss some things and very quickly that devolves. And he rather than shoot her, he chokes her to death. And it's like a very gruesome sort of death scene. Like Harry mentioned, there is that, you know, trying on the shoe, making sure it fits before he, you know, making sure he's dotting his eyes and crossing his T's before he kills her. Um, and he's very dedicated. Do
2: you does anyone else get a Cinderella? reference here a little bit a hundred percent a little I, bit so i, I couldn't figure out what would make quentin tarantino include a, as a shoe connoisseur myself and let me Ooh. assure you those shoes were magnificent uh i just was like this is very bizarre to me that there's this weird like disney reference inside a world war ii film
0: it is a fairy tale in well, well, some regard let's you know. remember but, cinderella is a fairy
3: tale from france oh. originally
0: and okay. and think about like at the this
2: role guy. that
3: fairy tales play in myth making and stories i think this is part of his larger theme of landa and what he represents there is this extra layer he he can't just shoot her he's gonna kill her he has to play this fairy tale story with her as if he's constructing a narrative oh. I, I actually don't know if he planned to to choke her originally i think he was gonna shoot her and remember she shoots him you know she she goes after him first, Right. and then they struggle, and then he chokes her. Oh, and, okay. And I think uh, I gotta say we're gonna talk about violence as it plays out in the rest of this uh, sequence in the mm-hmm. theater. Yeah. And and maybe even in the closing scene, but I actually think that choking scene and the way it was shot and the Ugh. way Tarantino holds on him, that was to me uh. the most affecting violence scene in the movie. Like uh. like you have to watch this woman get choked out and like literally watch as like, and then the, her foot is the last thing we see to know that she's dead. Yeah. Like, yep. Like, what is what is he doing here? Like, And why is it like the, the most violent, the most realistic violence in the movie rather than, oh, let's say the gun shooting and the bear with the bat, even the bear with the bat, we don't see it, he cuts away. Why this yeah. violence against this woman does he not cut away? And I've always wondered that in this movie.
0: Yeah, I That's mean- what was her crime, right? I mean, trying to be deceptive and ultimately try to help out the team. But yeah, she didn't do anything far worse than any of the other people who he murdered throughout the film.
1: And I will, I will just add, like, I think you're right that that's one of the most important violent scenes in the film. You know, one of the famous pieces of trivia about this movie is that Tarantino didn't actually like the way that, um, that Christoph Waltz was actually choking her, so those are actually his hands. Like it's Tarantino's hands that are actually choking her there, and it's kind of Whoa. that you know, that whole bit about how Tarantino kind of puts himself into all his movies, and people say he wasn't in Bastards, and then some people say no, he was. He you does see, a cameo with, with his hands.
3: one where he claims that she asked him to, but he like chokes her with like a, a necklace or something. It's his hands, not the character's hands. Like this is not the only time he's done this. Like he's put himself into the frame in this mm. way
0: interesting yeah i mean
1: and and i think i know it like i think after a movie with so much sort of like distance and so much sort of like shooting and just like you know these sort of very violent like added like with guns kind of powerful things to see him use his sort of raw brutality it's like the first time we've seen someone so ref- you know this character who's been so refined and so orderly kind of not quite loses cool but just get very aggressive you know for the first time i think it's striking and it's, it's a little bit like He's slipping. He had so much control over the situation and then he kind of results to this and it's a little, you know, sloppy. it's a little sloppy and he walks out of the room and he kind of like collects himself a little bit and straightens up. But it's all it's the first time in the movie that we kind of see him. He's just as scary as he's been, but he seems a little bit almost like a loose cannon to a certain extent. And it, it sets up some of the twists that we actually see.
3: What was what was it that threatened her him so much? about her like it was she was
2: German and it was a uh, woman and you know what he's got mommy issues I'm sorry I have to milk? The, I have to be the voice of of women for a moment because I also think that Tarantino is like let's put the worst violence on the woman I don't know what the motivation is I right. don't know what the issue is but you know there are Nazis who are getting treated with better with better murders, better killing, you know, I guess one yeah. could argue that shooting someone in the testicles is, is a. Uh, unhospitable gesture, <laughs> but he, the personal nature of killing the woman in the movie, I don't know. Piss me off a little bit. I'll be honest. Totally.
1: totally. Cause a little bit later in the scene, you know, there's obviously like they're, they're kind of all watching the movie. Right. Cause then I'll, I'll just get us to the scene instead get of us jump there, baby. In yeah. the ahead But yeah, but so then this all comes to a climax. The movie actually starts and the bastards are kind of working on their plan. Although obviously Aldo Rain is, is then sort of kidnapped because he's found out by, you know, Hans Landa and they're kind of removed from the scene, but, you know, still at the theater are two of the bastards and then also Shoshana and her plan. And as Shoshana's is kind of working through her plan, she's going to change like the film reel during the fourth film reel is going to be this special one where she spliced her face into it. And she's kind of getting ready to do that. And she has her partner, you know, lock the doors. That- the theater because their plan is going to be to trap everyone all the nazis in the theater you know burn the whole thing down and as she's about to do that frederick zoller who's in the theater manages to walk out i guess before the doors are locked because he, he kind of needs to step away from the movie he seems for the first time to be a little bit uncomfortable with some of the violence that he was so proud of this entire time but i guess watching it on screen mm-hmm. has a legitimate effect on him and he goes into the like the projection room to kind of visit you know, uh, to to visit Shoshana. And she's obviously very hesitant at first and she kind of is very tough with him. But what I wanted to mention, just in terms of what you were talking about, Jody, about the sort of violence against women, all of a sudden his facade, and like there was no denying it. He obviously was very forceful with Shoshana and very aggressive. And even though he was trying to masquerade as this polite, he's like, what did I ever do to you? You know, I've been so nice to you. He brings out that kind of sort of nice guy syndrome that, you know, we, we see more commonly uh, in the lexicon today. Right. And he kind of is like, he like he slams the door open and it like hurts her and she like winces in pain and he's like oh it's good to know that you can feel i mean it may be something physical and nothing internal but all of a sudden it's just like it's this repressed sexuality right it's this you know he's being denied by this woman and like he feels like he should get everyone all all these other women in the movie are sort of like fangirling over him and then you know there's this one who's rejecting her and he goes from being the sort of nice guy like oh i'm not gonna press you too much to like
0: very forceful you know But then yeah. she does turn it around and she says, "All right, let's do it. Like, close the door. Let's take off your clothes. Let's do this right here." And he like, uses that totally. She, she uses
1: that. That's our advantage. Like yeah. she really takes advantage of his very clear sort of.
0: frustration. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, I don't that. And and she's you know he he's sort of like awestruck. He's like, really? Okay, great. So he starts to uh, you know he closes the door and everything. She pulls out her gun. She she gets him a couple times. He gets a few shots in; they kill each other, but she's able to switch the reel right in time before she dies. Um, And it's at that point where the last reel plays, Shoshana is able to deliver her final FU to the Nazis, which gives her boyfriend the signal to light the... Just,
3: before we go into this next thing, can we just talk about that last scene? Because there's interspersed with this all happening is Londa doing his negotiation with Aldo. And so you're getting... Them negotiating, basically, you know, revealing his hand that he sees where the war is going. And this is his opportunity with all those people in there. And he knows that there's still some bastards there. And he wants to neg- he's now showing his real cards. Even though he just killed yeah. this. War, he wants to ge- he wants to negotiate his, uh, you know, new adventures in America. Yeah. In where's one? man?
0: Yeah. Ever the opportunist, yeah. you know.
3: So we're hoping that, like, you know, Shoshana will get free so we don't have to need Landa, and, and it doesn't matter what happens to Aldo. And I think that's an amazing thing that Tarantino's doing. He's set up the whole movie so we have these two possible, you know, uh, you know, heroes. And when Shoshana gets shot, first of all, she doesn't get shot until she goes over to check on it. Still, or, yeah. That's a huge mistake because he plays dead. Mm. Yeah which is like the worst kind of thing to do. He's hiding. Like, yeah. And, and and he shoots her back when she's, you know, trying to help him to so the first time she's shown any sort of caring for this man. And then once she's dead, now we know like, okay, all we have left is whether or not Aldo and Landa will come to some kind of deal and whether he'll call in the guards on the remaining bastards or not. And, you know, that's, I think sets up like the real tension in this moment. Right. Is, like, it's all going to come down to whether or not the Nazi we've hated the whole movie is going to be the Nazi that actually lets all of us get what we want.
0: Yeah, he does qu- He does deliver quite an interesting scene um, the way he phrases it the way that it's like set up with the phone I have this phone in front of me, I can either call it and it will change the course of things and uh, you know, ultimately he doesn't call it in and the bastards do complete their job. They are uh, able to get access to Hitler and Goebbels upstairs they murder them. Uh, the film stock catches fire, and I read somewhere that Eli Roth and his co-star almost burnt to death because oh, the, yeah. the the heat was so intense that that maybe another had they not got out in a certain amount of time, I think the building and the would have collapsed because it oh was my like God. way hotter like the, than they had was planned. A giant,
3: like, Eagle, the right thing that fell at one yeah. point that was not supposed to fall. The steel thi- uh, wires were holding it up melted. Because oh my goodness! It was supposed to be like 800 degrees, and it was like 2,000 degrees—something yeah. like ridiculous, you know? Thing,
0: oh my but
2: God. Someone's it looked fired. good. It yeah. looked
0: good. <laughs> right, but everyone dies. Like in in the explosion, the dynamite goes off of our bastards. They they have hidden dynamite in their ankles, and both dynamites, uh, sticks of both sets of dynamite, go off in the theater. The entire theater blows up. Mission accomplished. All those Nazis are dead. Most of the bastards are dead. We finish with Aldo. And The short drew played by BJ Novak, yeah. And we end up in a forest on the line. Uh, what remind me again, what was the significance of the area they were? It was like on the allied line, yeah, like, yeah. And now and, they and,
3: could like switch, and Aldo could take the lead and bringing them over the line. Yeah. Got
0: it, okay. And so, so Aldo brings out Hans Landa, and you know, I I thought, you know, I thought that'd be like some sort of like anticlimactic pop and then he's dead. Like, but that didn't happen. You know, uh, Aldo takes out his trademark knife, it gives him a goodbye present, carves a swastika in the forehead, and they march off in the sunset and the movie's over. (laughs) Did I miss anything before we go to break?
3: Just some minor points. I think already Harry alluded to there's a callback of a conversation where he basically asked him, So when you go to Nantucket, like, are you gonna still wear your uniform? And he's like, No, I'm gonna take it off. And it's like this whole thing of like, you don't get to walk away from being a Nazi. I'm going right. to make sure everybody knows you're a Nazi. But he also, like, takes out his gun and shoots the driver. Like, there's violence right there. And he basically tells the short Jew, like, there's a whole thing throughout the movie because he's, you know, the Apache, um, that he needs scouts. And he tells him to, like, scout. And we're literally right. walking right. scout the guy's head yeah. as this last bit is playing out. And it's like, it's almost like this casual violence that's just playing out in this scene that is you know, it's, it's horrifying in a way. And yeah. It's yeah, they, have, end it's, they have a very, it's what it,
1: go ahead. I think what it does is in this last like scene where it's like, you know, the, these evil sort of Nazis that obviously are the villains throughout the entire movie. It's like, they're almost getting away with it because you know, they've negotiated this big plan and they're actually going to work out. And it's like, as much as it's like great because it worked out, you know, and obviously this is the point where you realize a lot of this movie wasn't true, slash none of it really was, because, right. you know, Hitler's killed and the entire, you know, third, uh, the leaders of the Third Reich are killed. And, you know, yes, they're killed, but then you kind of see Hans Landa and this other guy getting away. And it's almost this like one last nod, like, don't worry i'm not going to let these nazis off easy we're going to kill one of them and then you know hans Landa. he's not going to die at the end but it's almost like a worse punishment for him because like everyone else in the film he's also like been hiding and he has these like dual motives and he has this you know i'm only looking out for myself and he's trying to you know hide himself as this American sympathizer, even when he's negotiating his kind of like freedom in America, he says, you know, let the record show that I was an undercover agent the entire time and that I was actually working with the Americans the entire time trying to like stop the Nazis from the inside. So he's going to try to hide under this cover. And it's one last like we're not letting anyone get away with it and we're not letting anyone hide who they really are. And that's why You know, there's that incredible moment they give him the swastika and then Brad Pitt sort of ends the film. You know, I think this might be my masterpiece, which some people say is also Tarantino saying that, you know, to close out one of his, probably one of his best films. So it's it's
0: an amazing moment. On that note, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with our ratings for Inglorious Bastards. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We are here with Jody Berman and Yechiel Hoffman of Two Movie Jews, and we are here to give our ratings and scores for *Inglorious Bastards. Well, Coin Toss, previous to our recording, has said that, Jody, because you're our guest, you can go first. Uh, We're going to rate our film on a scale of one to five Jewish stars, taking into account things like Jewish content, Jewish cast and crew, Jewish themes, and then as a bonus, Is this good for the Jews?
2: Ah, oh, that's my favorite question. So I, while I love this film, I mean, in regular life, five stars, I don't think it's that Jewy. I don't think it's that Jewish. I am going to give it like two and a half, three stars from a Jew. It's certainly, you know, a Jewish masturbatory dream in terms of, you know, revenge fantasy, but not that not that Jewish. And, and so I, I give it like two and a half, three stars. Um, and is it good for the Jews? I think it is good for the Jews. I think seeing strong, I, I would love it if more of the Jewish characters were played by Jews, but right, will right. not go down that rabbit hole. Um, uh, but I, I do think projecting a sense of strength and pride and, uh, you know, don't, can i swear on this podcast Fuck yeah okay and don't fuck with us is is good for the jews and it's actually like even more of an argument to me for the state of israel like jews can be super strong despite nebuchadnezzar like any of the stereotypes and so i'm gonna say yes good for the jews and two and a half three stars in terms of of jewishness
0: so i'm not gonna weigh in just yet but i wanted to clarify your last point because uh, Melanie Laurent is half Jewish her dad is uh she, she has both ashkenaz and sephardic uh you know roots um, yep. Eli Roth is Jewish BJ Novak is Jewish uh Paul Rust who played one of the other bastards is not Jewish um Brad Pitt is not he Jewish, is Jewish. Right. Yes.
2: Anyway. And Brad Pitt the boss the leader the the strongest of the strong the guy who right. does the recruiting who's recruiting dafka Jews on purpose right,
0: right? Yeah. not Jewish Right uh Harry, should we go to you or should we go to Yechiel? What do you think? Maybe mix and match. Okay, go ahead.
3: I just want to say before we jump in that uh, well, Chris, we Waltz is not Jewish. He's German Austrian. His his first yep. wife was Jewish, and his son is an Orthodox rabbi who mm-hmm. lives in Israel. So that, so apparently he was he used to call his son while they were on set to ask questions about things. Uh, so mm-hmm. sometimes you don't know cool. you're casting. You're getting a lot of extra knowledge as well. Um I want to say this is a very tough one. I I had always like thought of this as like a Jewy film and like I was excited when it came out cuz I'm like yeah, we get a film about, you know, Jews taking revenge. And then I watched it again this week knowing you'd ask this question and thinking to myself, of the four main characters only one of them is Jewish. None of the Jewish characters that we see other than the BJ Novak, you know, short Jew survive this movie.
0: Um Right? You know, and- it's
3: like they're Jewish characters, so if we're gonna have like a, a, a one to five scale, but in that scale, it's like you know you said Frisco Kid is like the most Jewish movie ever made. Um, I didn't say oh, that. I didn't I say, that. say easy, that. Easy, easy. I, I did say not that. say that.
1: Okay, okay, okay. I yeah. might think that.
3: But like that. on the three scale would be like Schindler's List, and this is like the this is like Schindler's List. Jewish. There are Jewish characters. There's things happening to Jews in the movie, but it's really a, it's a Gentiles movie it's their movie it's their perspective it's them it's them like taking the golem story and making it part of their story um and this is ultimately a you know not to me as much of a a jewish story necessarily and i can talk also thematically uh in a little bit we wanted to talk about the nature of violence in this movie and even like you know the the, the double identity aspect about like this is tin Tarantino's movie and i don't think it would if I think it's distinctly for him. It's his movie. It's not a Jewish movie,
0: right? And so, where where are you coming three. in number wise? Three, okay.
1: So more Jewish than not, but you know, not much more.
0: So, just just so we have our scoreboard up here, Jody, yeah. you said two and a half,
2: three, two and a half to three,
0: okay, two, 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 seven, five. Five. two
2: yeah, to seven yeah, three yeah. and a half.
3: because you and half. want to stretch that to like a
2: seven. So oh, now we're at three. So exactly the median. <laughs> so it's
0: it's great you're on the same podcast wavelength that you kind of come in at the yeah. roughly the same numbers. <laughs> Harry, no pressure. Yeah, Where five stars at? for sure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: Definitely not. I'm I'm happy I got to go third because I really wanted to hear you know the, the points that you both made, and I I really. It's all the same questions I've been wondering, and this I had the same thoughts. Right, this is a complicated movie because it feels like a Jewish movie. It's the bear Jew. It's the bastards that are Jewish, but is this such a Jewish story? You know, and what does that even mean? And obviously, that's a rubric that we continue to make up week over week, and you know, we don't know. But I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot. I I actually, at the time that we're recording this, it's right around the time that uh, the new Thor movie comes out. And if you're wondering why I brought that up, it's because the director of that, Taika Waititi. Mm -hmm. recently made a movie a couple years ago that was called jojo rabbit and it was a similar holocaust story and i say similar because it told a story of a lot of you know nazi officials and people you know in the war without actually delving into the concentration camps into the holocaust parts of it it was more of a world war ii story and you know, some of I was looking back at that film and thinking about it and reading some of the criticism about it is that it proclaims to be this sort of Jewish story. But there's only really one Jewish character in the entire thing. It's really like a Nazi story. And it's really like a war story. And I tried to apply that same logic to this movie. And I was going to I was thinking, you know, just because it's a sort of a Holocaust adjacent World War II film that doesn't by default make it a Jewish film. You know, what about the content actually was Jewish? And you know, there, there's definitely a lot of war stuff. So I definitely think that this is a World War II film, you know, like we've said earlier, more so than it's a, you know, Holocaust film, so to speak. But there definitely are, are a lot of Jewish characters in there. You know, the Shoshana character, she really is the emotional center of the film. She has this big, you know, she's, she's the one that we're rooting for. She takes this big revenge. And obviously this theme of, you know, revenge is not just... It might not be a Jewish ideal, but this was actually something I loved. Like, unless you thought this was like a sort of anti-Hitler, you know, very just sort of like World War II film, but not a Jewish one. The climactic scene, we were talking about it when she kind of gets on the screen, she she gets in like the projector screen and delivers her, you know, like she basically cites that she's giving revenge. She's taking revenge on the Nazis there. She says,
0: My name is Shoshana Refugee, and this is the face of
1: Jewish Christians. And I love that she had the word Jewish vengeance in there because it really like, it wasn't just like at at its core, at the end of the day, this really was a reclamation story, not for Americans in World War II and not for the allies. It was for the Jews. And that was the framing of the story. That's how he starts the film. You know, he puts the film in the position of, you know, Tarantino starts the film showing these Jewish characters, you know, in their hiding and like highlights that very real, very scary element of what it meant to be a Jew in France during uh, World War II. And then even at the heart of this film at the climactic moment, you know, he really keeps it Jewish. So I do have, you know, the same qualms we all do about Brad Pitt being cast as not necessarily, you know, being cast and not being Jewish and, you know, not all of the bastards, I assume they all were because I knew, you know, Eli Roth was and I knew BJ Novak were, but I guess not all of them were Jewish. And I think thematically there are some Jewish themes there. You know, we mentioned the golem, we mentioned that stuff about sort of Jewish heroes, but it's not like so pervasive. So for that reason, I'm probably still going to go. I'm going to go three and a half, which I think is a little bit above what the two of you did, because I really do think that this is like the Jewish vengeance film. And to answer the question of good for the Jews, I think this movie is awesome for the Jews. I think it really puts power back in the hands of the Jews. It gives us a sort of modern day golem where it's, we can point to these Jews, you know, we can point to Aldo Rain and to the bear Jew and just say there were and are strong Jews. And I love that. So I want to give it a 3.5, but you know, nitty gritty, there's obviously a lot more in this film beyond some of the Jewish characters. That's more you know, steeped in the war itself. So that's why I'm not going higher than that. But 3.5 would be my score. How do you weigh in on that, Daniel? Ooh, isn't that the question of the night?
0: No, not really. (laughs) No, (laughs) I've all been waiting. I feel like I could either go, you know, uh, I I feel like I'm probably in the same ballpark, you know. uh, But I think, you know, to recap a lot of what everyone else had so brilliantly said in a much less eloquent way, I'd, I'd say, you know, the characters, you know, some of my rubric, in addition to the show rubric, is like: did we have any Hebrew? Did we have any Davening? Did we have any Kippas? None of that, right? So, like, on paper, or sorry, on in the movie, like, there's no portrayal of people being Jewish. Uh, mm-hmm. Shoshana is Jewish, uh, but she goes most of the movie by Emmanuel Mimieux. She assumes this sort of French identity. The characters, the the bastards themselves, you know. They're not doing anything Jewish. They just happen to be Jewish. Obviously, the framing of it being in World War II, the Nazi aspect of it, that, that it's like Jewish sort of. But it's <laughs> not it's not it's a World War II film that, you know, Tarantino has uh, set. You know, it's like revenge porn. It's he, he like you said earlier, Harry, you know, he has these genres that he tackles, where whether it's like Django Unchained, where it's like, you know, slavery fantasy revenge porn kind of and then he'll do kung fu movies with kill bill and then he'll do um his uh what was that death proof and his other like horror film and uh you know once upon a time in hollywood all of his movies are very genre specific films and this is his attempt at a a very good attempt at a world war ii film that happens to have jewish characters and kind of like Takes the normal Gentile spin of like the Magnificent Seven or those kinds Dirty Dozen those movies where the, everyone's kind of you know a Gentile but adding the Jewish flavor to it I think you know it's it's seasoned Jewish I'll say and and you know Shoshana is a very strong Jewish female character and she's ultimately I feel like the hero of the film more so uh, Jody like you 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 had said that she's much more effective and and elegant in her way of like sticking it to the Nazis. I think she's, you know, honestly, she comes across as much smarter than Aldo Rain. So she is a very strong female Jewish lead, which is awesome. The bastards are very dumb. I'm ranting. I apologize. <laughs> I'll get to my rating. But essentially, I'm going to go around like three, three and a quarter. That's sort of my thought. I mean, I think it's a great pic- picture. for. I think it's a great picture for the Jews. They all come across as like very uh, smart, very tough and folks who can get shit done.
3: I, I just think the the point you're bringing up about Django Unchained and Death Proof and Kill Bill I would all classify as revenge films. Like you look at them, their stories are all built around revenge. Um, I, I think the one thing that strikes me a year later, Django Unchained comes out. And unlike mm-hmm. in this film, clearly the main character is an African-American man. And the story is told from his perspective. And unlike in this right. film, where even though we could get Shoshana, she's she is not the most captivating characters. I would even say Hans Landa might be the main character. If not,
1: you oh, know, sure, Aldo. Sure. Um,
3: and I, I just wonder that question about the Jews. And you say, we ask questions, is this good for the Jews? So this is a very violent movie. It is, it has yep. most of its fame is around its violence. And I keep on wondering to myself about the nature of violence and nature of what is the association of Jews as either completely nonviolent and helpless or so violent that they'll even blow themselves up to, you know, destroy Hitler. And we get that scene with those, with Donnie and the other guy like literally standing over Hitler's body, like pelting it with with bullets uh, as it pops up and down. Right. I think the thing you pointed out about Shoshana and literally her last words, she's dead already. This is a post-humus, post-humous, like saying, it's actually not even on screen. The screen is burned down. The the clouds. From the fire, from right, the fire, right, right. is now being projected her face on it, and it's. I think it's Tarantino's way of saying, and I will claim this, that our greatest thing as Jews to have is not our ability to shoot guns at Hitler or made up and you know claymation Hitler, it's our ability to make movies to tell the stories where we win, and in some ways. Mm-hmm. Why this movie is great for the
0: Jews Interesting. is
3: not because of the violence. I felt it. When I went to the theater with seven of my friends wearing kippas in the theater, I felt it when they were shooting Hitler. Like it was a visceral feeling. But rewatching this, I realized like Shoshana being projected like that and her voice and saying, I am Shoshana Dreyfus. Uh, this is Jewish vengeance. To me, that is what's good for the Jews. It's Tarantino reminding all of us Jews out there that we got to make movies where we reclaim our
0: stories. So that was our review of Inglorious Bastards. Jody and Yikhil, thank you so much. Uh you both host a podcast. Tell us about that.
2: We do. We are we host Two Movie Jews and uh it's I it was it grew out of The realization that every time Yechiel and I were together, all we did was talk about movies. The rabbi who went to film school and the Jewish communal professional who only, you know, keeps track of how many movies she sees in a year and writes an Oscar blog and is obsessed with movies. And so we said, you know, let's let's give this a try. And every week we pick or every other week we pick a theme. Uh, we often do movie challenges. We challenge each other to see a movie. Our our very first episode, to go way back to the very beginning, was the movies that made us love movies. We've done genres. We did the, the entire Marvel universe, in which we watched 22, 22 Marvel movies at the time. That's how many there were. We watched all the Pixar movies and did a genre there. We always try to connect it in some way to like what's Jewish about it, if we can find it. Uh, and it's just a really fun. It's a fun exploration of film. And uh, we have a lot of, as you can probably gather, a lot of very witty banter. So it's a it's a fun listen. And I will say, even our my, where I work, I work at a synagogue and our synagogue president is the biggest two movie Jews fans and has now taken to uh, texting me on Fridays to say, what am I watching this weekend? So we really, we have a good time. Don't we,
3: we do. And I think that's the best thing is like, you know, I I grew up going to yeshiva or like you really try to find someone who can be your, your banter and Talmudic, you know, stuff. And we mentioned the Talmud earlier Um, to me, movies are my Talmud. Like, in every way, the way that like they connect to our lives, that connect to other texts, which books or movies or life. And just to have, when you find someone that you love to talk about it with, you know, why not make that a podcast so other people can enjoy. And we just want to inspire other people to, you know, talk about movies and to love movies and, and not just to treat that to treat them as something, you know, that's not worth talking about, but to treat them like something worth talking about.
0: Awesome. So the podcast is called two movie Jews and where can people check it out?
2: Uh, it's on all the major Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, where where on all the places you listen to podcasts. Fantastic. I mean, listen, I challenge anyone, maybe except for for Jews on Film, to find another podcast where they're talking about Star Wars with the Yetzer Hatov and Yetzer Hara, the good nice. and bad inclination. So you know, we we find a Jewish reference wherever we can.
0: Well, the force is strong with YouTube for sure. Jody and Rio thank you so much for being here on Jews on Film to discuss *Inglorious Bastards. Anything to plug besides your podcast? Uh,
2: during Oscar season, I write an Oscar blog called Berman, Berman Oscar blog. And I see every single nominated film every year. And I put up a little summary and a review. And really I focus on like, if you only see three movies this year from the Oscar nominees, see these, this one, and uh and then I pick a hidden gem. So, you know, Oscar season, check out Berman Oscar blog.
0: Fantastic. You feel anything on anything on your calendar? Or anything you want to plug? No,
3: just go see lots of movies. Ideally in theaters.
2: Yay.
0: Amazing. H- Harry, we gotta know what are you cooking this week? What do you want to plug? What kind of recipes can you share with your audience?
1: I wish I was more prepared for this. I know you ask it every episode, but Come on, man. You had the Zoom calendar invite. You knew this was happening. (laughs) We're recording this early in the week. I haven't figured it out yet, but, you know, maybe maybe we'll open the
0: next episode. I'll let you know exactly what it was. Maybe we can edit this in in post. But usually (laughs) just for those who are new to the pod, Harry and his wife, Jess, are amazing cooks. And so each each week, you know, each weekend on Shabbat, when I see him in synagogue, I always ask him, like, what he cooked because. You know, he tells me he regales me with these recipes like <laughs> honey covered schnitzels and short Ooh. ribs and sous vide this and whatever. So you know, I want to I want to, like, paint a picture here on this audio medium and ask, you know, Harry, what he's cooking. But it'll be our spin off. a spin-off podcast. podcast. So, we'll all be about
1: food. <laughs> exactly.
0: What's Harry cooking? exactly. Jews on food. Love it. Well, <laughs> <Jews> <laughs> we, we also have to do Jews on Broadway, apparently. Oh, there is one out one there. Someone, Nita
3: Silver does a Jews on Broadway
0: uh, oh, perfect. And we're good. We don't have to do I'm it. Really it's <laughs> a relief.
2: That. Amazing. Thank uh,
0: you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And um, as always, follow us on Jews on Film on Instagram, on TikTok, and find us wherever podcasts are found. And have a great evening. Auf Zayn. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Daniel Zana and Harry Ottensaucer. Harry Ottensaucer edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film. And subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.